So in our first reading from Exodus chapter 17, the children of Israel are now in the desert and they're complaining that they don't have enough water to drink. But let's back up a little bit. You know, we hear something about, you know, God tells Moses, strike the rock with the staff that you struck the river with. So we go back to when they were still in Egypt. The staff is one that Moses used to strike the Nile River and it turned to blood. It's one of the 10 plagues. It was, God was working to release his people, the children of Israel, so they could follow Moses to the promised land. So that's one thing, it's like something to do with water and changing the water to blood. And then we hear in chapter 14 of Exodus, the people tr- cross the Red Sea dry shod. It's like there's a wall of water on each side of them and they walk across the Red Sea. And then they see Pharaoh's army destroyed as they try and cross behind them and the waters just fill back in over them. So these people have seen you know, miracles with water. You know, and then in chapter 16, that was chapter 14, chapter 16, they're in the desert and they're complaining and grumbling, oh, why did you ever lead us out of Egypt where we could sit and have onions and meat to eat? And what does God do? He provides them with bread and meat. So in the morning they receive manna from heaven, bread, and in the evening quail. So God has provided food for them. And now we come to chapter 17, and now the the people are complaining again. Oh, we don't have enough water to drink. So what does God do? He has Moses strike the rock, and water flows from it so that they have water to drink. And for the 40 years that they're in the desert, that rock follows them on their journey through the desert, so they always have water. So God has provided to them bread and meat and water, all the things they need. And they still don't trust him. So most of them die in the desert in that 40 years. So it's a whole other generation that ultimately crosses the Jordan with Joshua leading them because Moses could not enter the promised land. And what do they do? They cross the river dry shod. Again, this happens. The water stops and they can cross dry shod following Moses into the plains of Jericho. So they keep hearing about God working with them and providing miracles with water. We come to our gospel today. It's a very rich gospel. There's a number of different themes that we could pull out of this gospel. So one of them is uh, they come to this well, Jacob's well, in Sikar. Now, there's nothing in the Old Testament that tells us about Jacob's well, but we know that Jacob did settle in Shechem, which in the first century is now called Sikar. So it clearly makes sense that he would have dug a well and had a well there. So it makes perfect sense. And the Samaritan people are using this well. 
Now, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. They didn't use cups or utensils or tools in common. So when Jesus asks this woman to give him a drink, she's shocked. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, can ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? Now, there's a couple of things there, and one of them I won't develop, but just tell you, it's like, in the first century, if you wanted to find a wife, you would not go to a club. You would not go to um, hebrewsingles.com. You would go to a well where the women were drawing water because that's where you would meet women. That's the place you would go. Except that ordinarily you would go there early in the morning, the cool part of the day. And what do we hear in this? It's like, oh, it's noon. Much warmer time of day. There's something odd going on here. Why is a woman drawing water at this time of day rather than at the cool part of day? Likely, what we get from the readings is that maybe she wasn't really well accepted. And we maybe hear a little more about that when we hear about her issue with husbands. But so it might also part of this, you know, so a man talking to a woman at a well might be partly why the uh, disciples were a little surprised and concerned when they returned and Jesus is talking to this woman. It's like, what's going on here? So we can work on that. I can probably finish developing this by maybe by two o'clock or so. So um, I think we'll just go in a little different direction. Also, there's a couple more things. What do we hear? Jesus talks to this woman. He asks her for water. And then he tells her about living water. And what happens? Her attitude starts to change. So she, first she has said, you a Jew, asking me, what? And then it becomes, sir, tell me more about this living water. How do I get this living water? He says, I am the source of this living water. So she's starting to change her attitude. And when, he, when she has that discussion with him, when he says, oh, well, go get your husband, she realizes he knows exactly who she is. And she's asking herself, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one? And ultimately, what does she do? She goes back to the village and calls the townspeople who probably really don't usually want to have anything to do with her. And she says, I met this man. He's a prophet. He told me everything I've done. Come and meet him. Come and see him. Listen to him. And he stays with him. Why? Because he's talked to her about the living water and completely changed her attitude and how she's thinking. So was it a 180-degree change? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe she's totally changed. Completely different direction. A repentance or a metanoia where she's gone from viewing things one way to changing and putting aside sin and trying to follow Jesus Christ. So that would be repentance, focusing on following him, or metanoia, the spiritual aspect of how do I put him first in my life? So each of us, if we've been baptized, have received that living water. It's brought us into the body of Christ. 
And we're called to be constantly repenting and turning and adjusting our lives so that we're focused on following him because of the living water that we have received. You know, and, and sometimes for some of us that repentance, it's not 180 degrees. It's not a big change like this woman in the gospel made. Maybe it's only a few degrees. So maybe the difference between true north and magnetic north, which is like 11 and a half degrees or something like that. So not a big change, but important if you want to get where you're going. If you're important if you want to really get to that point. So we want to be making sure that we are trying to follow our spiritual true north, which is following Jesus Christ. Following him who has given us the living water. So that's where we're, we're called to do, to make that adjustment in our lives. So I have an example of a person, and we actually, the Mass at 10 o'clock, if we remembered him in that Mass, was Deacon Ernie Picknally. He was a deacon in the, Cam the Diocese of Camden, New Jersey. He was a lawyer. He had eight children, made a point of sending all of his kids to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. For 15 or 20 years while his kids were in high school, he was the guy who ran bingo every Saturday night for the school to help support the school. But as a lawyer, he was very legalistic. And it flowed into part of his life as well and how he dealt with his children. So there's some serious tensions with some of his kids. But at some point, maybe after he had grandchildren and his last child was out of high school, they had a change. I can remember having a conversation with him at one point where clearly he wasn't looking at things in a legalistic way. It's more of how are we working with people. So he entered formation for the diaconate, served for close to 20 years as a deacon, and touched a lot of people's lives. So when he died, it was, and, and that was nine years ago this past Friday, there was a wake the night before the funeral, five hours, constant flow of people, to the point where they had to turn some of them away. There were that many people. His family was just exhausted. He had made that change, but only a few degrees, you know, sending all my kids to Catholic school and raising them in the faith and now dealing with them in a loving fashion. You know, so <laughs> some of his kids were just stunned at the outpouring of people coming to see him because he had touched so many people's lives. So he had made that few degrees adjustment. And each one of us are called to make at least that kind of adjustment on a regular basis in our lives. So I said, you know, the difference between true north and magnetic north is 11 and a half degrees. But you know, when I was a Boy Scout, it was only seven degrees. So something's continuing to change, which means you know, we also need to keep adjusting, repenting, having metanoia, so that we are making sure that we're spending time in prayer asking God to show us how we follow him more closely, how we put our lives into his hands, much like the surrender novena that the Archbishop has asked us to pray starting this past Thursday, and there's pamphlets for it by the entrances, so pick one up and just, you know, start through it. 
I surrender myself completely to you, Jesus. You take care of everything. So we're called to have that kind of change in our life, that following Jesus who gives us the living water.